0: The sex today is going to be Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1, 18 through 25, and because you were standing for so long, I'll let you guys stay seated this time. We usually read, stand when we read God's word, but I'll read it for us, sitting down for now. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The title of my message tonight is The Condescending Grace of Emmanuel. Now, I usually don't share the title of my sermon, I read it from the beginning. But for the past few weeks, the phrase, condescending grace, has stuck into my mind. When we hear the word condescending or condescension, it usually has a negative connotation to it. Merriam-Webster defines condescending as having a patronizing attitude or behavior. When someone's being condescending they're talking down to you out of a perceived place of superiority. For better or for worse, uh, the term mansplaining has come into our vernacular for a man talking to a woman as if she's ignorant or unintelligent. It's insulting and it's belittling and it's arrogant to talk to someone in a condescending way. However, the dictionary also defines condescending and condescension in a positive sense. It's pretty much exclusively negative, but Merriam-Webster also defines it as the voluntary descent from one's rank or dignity in relations with an inferior. Now, we don't like people being condescending to us because we're all equal. There's no one in a place of superiority over us. That's something our culture delights in and celebrates and preaches. But what happens if it's not a perceived place of superiority, but an actual place of superiority? If you've ever seen Downton Abbey, all the cooks and the maids and the servants that are down in the kitchen in the servants hall are absolutely flabbergasted when one of the lords or the ladies comes down to the kitchen to talk to them or invites them up into the main house to speak to them. It's a place of honor for a lord or a lady to call you into their presence to have an audience with you. Or if we're a little too detached from that time period, think about an actor or an athlete or someone with millions of dollars who takes the time to sign an autograph for someone, or take a picture with them, buy them dinner if they are somehow at the same restaurant, or especially in this time of the year when a famous athlete who has millions of dollars spends a couple hundred dollars to buy a whole family Christmas presents. That's condescension in the best term of the definition. Someone coming from their place of superiority, their elevated status, and coming down to the level of a common person. See, in Matthew 18, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 24, an angel tells Joseph that his wife-to-be is going to have a baby. It's not going to be his. But the baby in his, in his fiancé's womb is not a product of adultery or fornication. But Mary, as a virgin, has conceived the Son of God in her womb. Joseph is to take Mary as his wife, he is to raise the baby in her womb as if it's his own biological child, and he is to name him Jesus. And Matthew writes this, that the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, when he writes, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. But then Matthew adds a little parenthetical statement. For as non-Hebrew speakers and readers, he tells us that the name Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus is God with us. The baby in the manger is God with us. And the fact that God is with us can only be described in my mind as condescending grace the way I've structured my sermon is I'm going to look at those three words, God with us, and we're going to see that it's condescending grace because it's God with us. It's condescending grace because he is God with us. It's condescending grace because it's God with us. And it's condescending grace because it's God with us, particularly for what he came to do for us. So point number one, it is condescending grace because he is God with us. With us, When Matthew says that the baby in Mary's womb is called Emmanuel, he is saying that Jesus is God. Jesus is not some sort of angel that God sent or not some sort of mere man that got elevated and was really, really holy. But Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is the God-man. He is the Son of God. He is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. The Apostle John referring to Jesus as the Word as he begins his gospel says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son from the Father. And Matthew himself has no qualms of saying that Jesus is equal to God because Matthew says that this son, this baby boy, is going to be named Jesus, but he's also going to be named God with us. He draws an equal sign. Jesus is God with us. God the Son took on flesh and was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb and came into this world as a man. God the Son, who is in the glory of heaven, in the heavenly kingdom, took on flesh and dwelt among us on this cold, dark earth. Now, if we define condescension as the voluntary descent from one's rank or dignity in relations with an inferior... What else can we say about the Holy Son of God taking on flesh and coming down from his dignity, from his rank, to have relations with an inferior? Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, writes Paul in Philippians 2, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. How's that for a voluntary descent for inferiors? But Emmanuel is not just condescending grace because it's God who came down, but it's God who came down to be with us. Point number two, it is condescending grace because he is God with us. There is power and meaning in that little preposition, preposition with. Because, see, it's not God against us. It's not God in opposition to us. It's not God indifferent to us. And it's not God in judgment of us. It's God with us. Jesus is God with us. Jesus came to be with us in proximity. See, God was once far off. The world was once in darkness. Isaiah chapter 9 says that the world was in darkness and in gloom. A people who once walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, on them a light has shown. It presupposes that they were once in darkness, that they were once in the shadow of death. And then the light came, and namely, the light of the world, Jesus Christ. A light for the Gentiles, the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of the of life. Then we also have to remember Jesus said that with his own two feet on the ground. Jesus said that to people. Jesus said that in space and time. Jesus said that in proximity to human beings because he dwelt with us. He touched us. He spoke to us. He healed us. He dwelt with us. Jesus is God with us in proximity. More than that, he is with us in humanity. Christ shares our humanity. That's why we celebrate the incarnation, the enfleshment of Christ at Advent. He had a body. He had emotions. Everything that we experience here on earth, he experienced. He wasn't detached from it. He wasn't numb to it. He wasn't above it, but he experienced it. What we feel, he felt. Even though he was divine, he was not sheltered from the cold and from the darkness here on the earth. In a literal sense, he didn't shield himself from the cold and darkness because that frail, shivering baby was born in a manger on a cold, dark night. And in a figurative sense, Jesus experienced the coldness and the darkness of this earth where there is death when he stood at the grave of Lazarus. He experienced both literal and figurative darkness when he was hanging on the cross, stripped of his clothes as darkness passed over the land. To be truly with us, Jesus had to be with us and to share in our humanity. He had to be flesh and blood. He had to be body and spirit. The writer of the Hebrews says that Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Jesus was with us in the thick of it, feeling it, because he had a body, he had nerves, he had a soul that could feel. He is with us in in humanity, but he's also with us in sympathy. The writer of the Hebrews goes on to say, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let me restate that without a double negative and put it in the positive. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Don't you hate it when someone says, I know exactly how you feel, but you know that they have no idea how you feel? You think they understand you, they think they understand you, but honestly, they have no clue what they're, abs- what they're talking about. That's not Jesus. Jesus knows exactly how you feel. One, because he knows all things. But two, he knows exactly how you feel because he has experienced how you feel. Everything that you've experienced, he's experienced firsthand. He has firsthand knowledge of what it's like. He has firsthand knowledge, and therefore, in his condescending grace, he is right there with you, sympathizing with you. He's with you, and he draws near to you to comfort you in your affliction, in your suffering, in your weakness, in your temptation, because Jesus knows what it's like to suffer, to be tempted, to be weak, to be afflicted. He knows exactly how you feel. The only thing he doesn't know that you know is sin. Because he was, he was in every respect tempted as we are, was weak like we are, yet was without sin. He does not know sin. He does not tra- know transgression. He does not know evil. He does not know wickedness. He is perfectly holy. But on the other hand, we intimately know evil and sin and transgression. We intimately know it. All of us do. We all are evil, wicked rebels. Yet he came to us. It is condescending grace because he is God with us. The portrait that the Bible paints of humanity is not a good one. Because yes, we were created in the image and likeness of God and being able to reflect the goodness and glory of God to creation and to one another. But when our first parents sinned, we all became sinners. We all became born sinners. If you don't believe in an original sin, introduce yourself to a toddler and you will realize that we are all born sinners. We don't have to learn it. We all have a PhD in sin when we come out of the womb. But the Lord, in his faithfulness and in his mercy and in his condescending grace, came to us. Jesus came to be God with sinners. He left the glories of heaven. He left his father's side, and he emptied himself, and he humbled himself to come and save a wretch like me. A wretch like you. A wretch like Paul. You know what Paul says? This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Paul knew just how wretched he was. But Paul knew the love and grace of God that came to save a sinner, the chief of sinners, like him. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. The reason that baby is in the manger is for the sole purpose of saving sinners. He didn't come so that we could get up tomorrow morning and have presents. He didn't come so that we could dress in green and red. He didn't dress so that people could spend billions of dollars on toys. He came to save sinners from their sin. It is condescending grace because He is God with us to save us from our sin. I talked a lot about the condescending part of this condescending grace, but what about the grace part of it? Grace is an unmerit- unmerited gift, it's a gift that you don't deserve. In fact, it's a gift that you are given, even though you have done everything to not deserve it. It is a gift when you should receive punishment. It is heaven when you deserve hell. It is forgiveness when you deserve condemnation. It is sinners being forgiven of their sin. Look back at Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The angel tells Joseph that you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word or name Yeshua, or in English, Joshua. That word in Hebrew means salvation, because salvation is precisely what Jesus came to bring. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, was coming to save us from the very thing that alienates us from him in the first place. In our sin, we separate ourselves from God. In, In our sin, we are without God in the world. And if sin alienates us from God, then someone has to come and deal with the sin that alienates us from him so that Jesus can truly be God with us. Because apart from God's grace in our lives, we want to be us without God. But in his condescending grace, Christ came so that he could be God with us and so that we could be with God. He accomplished this through his condescending grace. He accomplished this through the condescending grace that brought him to the manger. He accomplished this by the condescending grace that took him to the cross the condescending grace of the Prince of Peace who established an everlasting peace with us because upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. So yes, we sing about peace and we sing about joy and goodwill to all men. But the only way that peace and that joy and that goodwill could come to sinful men is if someone dealt with that sin. That's precisely what Christ came to do. He came to save his people from their sin. And that is why we're here. That is why we're celebrating. And that is why we are about to sing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you say that the wages of sin are death. But the free gift of God is salvation in Christ Jesus. The forgiveness of sins. And Lord, when we are and our heart of hearts, wicked and sinful. More than we can even imagine, you still in your condescending grace come to us and send your Son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Christmas means nothing without Good Friday and without Easter. Because as we think about the incarnation of Christ, the person of Christ, we also need to remember the work of Christ on the cross, which was the means to save us from our sin. And Lord, it's in that joy that we are going to sing, joy to the world, the Lord is come. And come, all ye faithful, come and adore him. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.